He's not even letting me. Come on, it's going to be lunch soon. <laughs> so here he is, Michael Hansen. Hey. Come on. There we go. Hey, good morning. Wow, wow. You know, watching that video, uh, I think I have decided how I'm going to do my hair. Whoop! I got to decide I'm going to do my hair next. I think uh, dreadlocks are coming back, if they were ever out. But uh, hey, so we've been in a mini series uh, that we've been doing that's leading up to Easter, which uh, I'm amazed that it's already upon us. And since Easter is next weekend, that means, and if you were raised in the church, you know that the weekend. Uh, before Easter is when we celebrate what's called uh, Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is, basically, it's about the time, the story in the Bible where Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, massive crowd of people, and a lot of these people were waving uh, palm leaves. That's the name Palm Sunday. And one of the things with this story is that you and I have the advantage of knowing the story. Right? We know what's coming in the story, that, that Jesus is actually heading. He's days away from what we'll celebrate next weekend. He's days away from going uh, to the cross. But the people in the story, well, you know, they didn't know that that was coming. And, and so what started off as a very uh, exciting, a very uh, promising week for many of these people ended up being like really uh, confusing and the, and the confusion for them it came from the expectations that they had of Jesus <gasps> here he comes he's come to do this now uh, a good friend of mine William Shakespeare once said he's not a friend okay I made that up don't put it in your notes William Shakespeare said expectation is the root of all heartache now think about it as human beings young and old I can remember uh, as a kid, as a really young kid, having big expectations. And I, I, I think almost everything we do as human beings have some level of expectation attached to it. Right? So you enter into, I mean, a relationship, a friendship with somebody, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. You get married. You, you go into business with someone. You get a pet. And, and there's some level of expectation attached to that relationship. You buy a product. Um, you know, this, I'm going to lose weight now that I got this. Or I'm going to grow hair <laughs> now that I got this. Or, you know, there's, there's all these things that we buy and purchase. Uh, it could be, you know, if I could just get that job, uh, go to that school, if I get that degree, or, or now, you know, as we're, we're moving, we're coming out of winter, hopefully at some point, headed towards the spring, and it's like, okay, that vacation, you've got it all planned. And there's huge expectations surrounding all these things that we do in life and one of the most challenging things in life is dealing with the disappointment that follows when when our expectations aren't met and so it says in your notes uh, not if but when if you're gonna live on planet earth it's just a matter of time and, and you know looking at this crowd I know they're all going a matter of time it's I've been living in that for years but it's just a matter of time till you're gonna have to deal with disappointment. And, and so the question is then, so what do we do when our expectations aren't met? Uh, do, we, do we end the relationships, right? This, it's not going the way I thought it would. You know, we, we sort of move away from that person. We break up with him or her. We divorce them. Uh, we disown them. Uh, do we return the product, right? Just recently I was returning something on Amazon and I thought it was interesting that, you know, when you're going through all the 
you know, the song and dance you have to do to return stuff, there's one section that says, you know, they basically want a reason. Why are you returning this product? And one of my options was, it did not meet my expectations. Uh, you could return the product, you could, uh, you could quit your job, you could quit school. Don't quit school, <laughs> but you could. Uh, but, but you know what, when we don't, when our experience, when our expectation of, of an experience isn't met, you know, we can complain about it. Let me talk to someone who, you know, let me talk to your manager. Let me talk to someone who can do something about it. Or on a bigger scale, we, uh, we sue each other when our expectations aren't met. Now, I remember recently, I was at uh, Starbucks, and, um, and when I go to Starbucks, nine times out of ten, I always order the same drink. And this time I thought, you know what, I'm going to try something new. And I ordered something new, and the, you know, the lady behind the counter, you, know, they, you give them their name, and, or you give them your name. And you know what I've always wanted to do when they say, and what's your name? I want to say real loud, Benedict Cumberbatch, because I think that's such a cool name, but see if they can spell it. But I didn't do that. Uh, so they, she said, Michael, you know, I got my drink, and I stepped away from the counter, and I took a sip of this drink, and when I did it, I went, ooh, I winced. I mean, I didn't do it that much, but I'm doing that for the people in the back, ooh, and the, the barista, the lady behind the counter, because it's Starbucks and they're all about, you know, the customer, she goes, sir, do you not like your drink? And I said, no, no, I don't. And she goes, well, here, give it to me. What, what would you like? I'll make you anything you want. And, you know, as, as I was prepping this talk this week, I thought, wouldn't it be cool whenever I am disappointed at home, at work, I just have to wince. And everybody runs, everyone just runs to, by, you know, what can we do to make you, you know, it's like, but unfortunately, it uh, doesn't work that way. But, it, but what do you do when your disappointment is with God? What do you do when, when God doesn't meet your expectations? Do you, uh, do you end the relationship, right? Right? Uh, do you try to return the problem, like Adam, this woman you gave me? Did not, ladies, I don't, oh, after, oh, oh, man, where's Bonnie? Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I didn't, I thought of course it is, okay. Uh, do you complain? Believe me, I've tried wincing. God doesn't seem to notice my wincing. But, but that's a really, a really important question to ask. What do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? What do we do with, with the disappointments that come through, through life? Uh, what we're going to see in the story today is that, again, again we know the story. We, we know where the story is going, but there's so many people that were in that crowd that were looking at Jesus with high expectations that uh, their disappointment not only led to a level of confusion, but their disappointment led to totally turning their backs on God. And you know, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I think people leave church, just stop going, one of the main reasons why I think people turn their backs on God is, is because he didn't do what they were expecting him to do. Because we're disappointed with him. And what I want to look at tonight, what do I want to, I want, or this morning, what I want to encourage us uh, with is that healthy living in this life, in this common human issue of expectations, disappointments, that we need to learn, this is the way I've written it down, we need to learn to be open-handed with our disappointments and tight-fisted with God. And what I mean is we need to learn to be quick to let go of the disappointments 
and then quick to, to grab on to God and to all that he is. And so let's pray, and then we're gonna, we're gonna jump into the story. So let's pray. Lord, I, uh, again, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you that, uh, that you're a God who comes close. And I, and I bless what you were doing this morning. I thank you for each woman here today, young and old. And again, we just bless, we bless them to be your daughters to live under the, all the blessing and freedom of being loved by you, being made by you, that you would, uh, uh, just like Bonnie was saying, you would, would show them, no, 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 this is who you are. So I just, I thank you for what you're doing, and I pray that you would continue this morning just coming close. Lord, you know each one of us here today. You know exactly what we're thinking, what we're feeling right now, and I pray that you would come close and just continue the work you're doing in all of our lives. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, uh, we have Bibles at the front if you don't have a Bible and also at the back. But if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, we will be uh, <clears throat> starting right off from, uh, from where JT ended last weekend. And you know, if you weren't here last weekend and you didn't hear JT's message, Strongly want to encourage you to pick it up on the way out. There's, uh, there's free CDs on the info counter, or you can go online and listen to it. It was an excellent talk, uh, and, and I, uh, you don't want to miss it, so check that out. But we're going to be starting John chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 12. So let's, let's start there. Excuse me. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival, for Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which means basically save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. We'll stop there. So in your notes, number one is the expectations. And you know, just imagine, you know, sort of get a picture in your mind that, you know, Jesus is, is riding into Jerusalem, and it's at the time of Passover. And Passover for the Jewish people, that's like that's the high point of their, you know, their calendar. And and uh, people from all around, the, you know, Jewish people from all around the known world. Their dream, their desire was always to, to go back to Jerusalem for Passover. So at this time of the year, the, the population of, of Jerusalem would just, would just explode with people. So you've got all these people and all, you know, they're all, you know, lining the streets. And in one, one of the Gospels, it says that the whole city went out to meet him. So it's just this, you know, picture this, just this frenzy, this massive group of people. And what I want to look at to start off are four different groups. And I'm going to move through them pretty quickly. But four different groups of people that would have been there that day and that would have had some very... Uh, 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 strong expectations of what Jesus was going to do. So first one, letter A there, it says tourists. And the tourists that were in the crowd, 
they greeted Jesus, they greeted him as a celebrity, right? Verse 18 says, it says, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Well, what what was the sign? Remember a couple weekends ago, it was, the sign was Lazarus, that, that Jesus, this guy had been dead, like in the grave for uh, four days and Jesus shows up and all these people are there grieving and, and he goes, no, 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 no. And he calls him by name and you know, out, walks, out walks Lazarus from the grave. Now you can imagine, I mean, that would have spread like wildfire. And so there's all these people in the crowd have heard this story and they're like, did you hear what this guy did? Like we, let's, I mean, we got to get close to this guy. I mean, maybe we can get a selfie with Jesus. But there's just this hype, you know, like, and so their expectation, the expectation of the, of the tourist was, Jesus is coming, and he's going to do a miracle. He's going to do, do something crazy. He's going to do something that will impress us, that will entertain us. So number one, letter A is tourists, and their expectation was Jesus is going to do something really cool. Okay, next one, B, the zealots. And another name for these people would be like nationalists. And, and the zealots, they greeted Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. They greeted him as a conquering king. Uh, you know, in the, within the Jewish culture and even within history, this whole thing of waving palm leaves, had, had, it was a symbol, it was significant, and, and it was a symbol of, of, of victory. And, and almost every time you see it, that when they're waving palm leaves, it, was, it was, had to do, it was connected with a military victory, right? So here, here comes the conquering heroes riding back, and that's how they would, one of the ways they would celebrate is with palm leaves. So you've got these zealots, you know, uh, uh, who, I mean, they know their history, and if you're a history buff, you may have read about the, uh, the Maccabeans, right? The, or, uh, the family where they literally, these guys, these sons, uh, they're like, war heroes in Israel where they they you know they ousted the enemy that was that was you know oppressing them in their homeland and these guys and they're like they're they're heroes and and so when the people are waving their palm leaves and they're saying hosanna and then to say blessed is the king of Israel the zealots are like basically they're saying god save the king and they're looking at this huge group of people and they're like all right, Jesus, now's the time. Look at the crowds. You just, you just blow that horn, and we are going to rally to you. So the, the zealots, their expectation was, here comes Jesus, and he is going to start an uprising that's going to oust these Romans from our homeland. Number, or letter C, uh, pilgrims. Again, I said at Passover, you would have all these uh, Jewish people come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and and the pilgrims as they were in the crowd cheering and yelling and uh, they would have looked at Jesus and they would have greeted him as the Messiah right the chosen one and here's the thing for for them to to be in the crowd and here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem and he's riding on what he's riding on a on a donkey and as he's riding into the city and they look at this guy, and again, they've heard all the stories about him. I mean, he is famous. I mean, he is famous, famous. They look at that donkey, and for the pilgrims, Jesus on a donkey, it's like he may as well have a huge neon sign going off because they know part of their upbringing as children and just in their culture is they would have been taught 
the, the prophecies of old. Not for the sake of, of learning history. They were taught the prophecies of old because those prophecies, was, it was the fuel in, in their, literally in, their, in this national longing. Those, <clears throat> excuse me, those prophecies were literally promises from their God that one day, I am going to send a deliverer, Israel. I'm going to send the Messiah to rescue you and set you free. And so when it says here in John 12, you know, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. When they saw that, right, they didn't see a war hero. What they saw was, it's the sign. It's literally God's promise in the flesh we live to see it and so their expectation for the pilgrim was that here comes Jesus on a donkey and he is going to restore Israel to its former glory for them it may as well have been King David riding riding into Jerusalem so that's the third next one and this one I kind of had some trouble with with the uh, Pharisees because it was kind of hard to pin them down with, a, with an expectation, but, but as always, it's like I always picture the Pharisees are sort of off on the, on the fringe watching Jesus angry. They just seem to be the, the angry guys all the time at Jesus. So I can't say that the Pharisees greeted him. Right? I don't think they were like excited to see Jesus. You know what I mean? They, they did not like Jesus. But listen to what it says, or let me, let me uh, for your notes, it's, uh, the Pharisees would have greeted, quote unquote, would have greeted Jesus as an outlaw. Right? In verse 19 it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, they're standing on the fringe observing this, just this massive crowd of people that are over the moon for Jesus. They're observing that. They're looking at each other and they said, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And if you remember, if you're familiar with the story, one chapter before in John 11, we see the Pharisees, you know, the religious leaders, they, it was in John 11 where they had made the decision, you know what, this Jesus guy is out of control. Uh, and that's in John 11 where they decided, we need to kill him. And they literally, well not literally, but they put a, what do you call it, an APB out on, on Jesus. Yes, he was last seen riding a donkey. You know, but it's like, they put a, uh, if you see Jesus, let us know, because they wanted to arrest him. And for them to see, you know, that this is getting us nowhere, it's like they're going, look, this is all going backwards. Look how popular he is. And part of their issue was they were jealous with Jesus because everybody, I mean, who is this young rabbi that, that, that everyone's going following him and not us? So they were jealous, but part of what they were dealing with was they were, uh, they were afraid of the Romans. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, had a, you know, sort of a deal if you, with the Romans where, okay, we'll let you do your religious things as long as you don't you know, go too far with it. And so they're looking at Jesus and their expectation, it's like an expectation fear, is that, oh no, here comes Jesus, everybody loves Jesus, he's going to start an uprising and their fear was, and then the wrath of the Romans is going to come down on us and everything is going to change for us. So you've got, so you've got here are the expectations. You've got the tourists is looking for the big show. You've got the zealots are ready for the coup. You've got the pilgrims, you know, the chosen one, the Messiah is here. And then the, the, the Pharisees, they're just angry and nervous and they're worried what's this going to do for, for them. But uh, all of them had very clear expectations 
Here comes Jesus, oh, I know, and here's what he's gonna do. But they were blinded by their expectations. Listen to this quote. It says, but they looked for the Messiah of their own dreams and their own wishful thinking. They did not look for the Messiah whom God had sent. Jesus drew a dramatic picture of what he claimed to be, but none understood the claim. Their expectations set them up for for disappointments. And if you're following in the notes, this is number two, the disappointments. I mean, just, you know, again, picture just this mob and this frenzy. I don't think we understand. I I can't even think of a parallel because it's way more than just a ticker tape parade. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, It's just this huge, you got this huge mob that are just, going crazy because of their expectations but even the disciples you know the 12 would have been there and think about it the disciples Jesus literally at least once if not twice had sat down with his disciples in advance and said now listen up (laughs) here's what's going to happen I'm going to Jerusalem I'm going to get arrested you know they're going to kill me but I'm going to I'm going to rise again so they even knew what was coming but when they got in the midst of this mob and all the You know, just the craziness. I'm sure even the disciples are looking at Jesus like, Jesus, look, look. I mean, your stock has never been so high. Now's the time, Jesus. You keep talking about the kingdom of God. Well, it's it's here. Now's the time. You gotta, you know, the the momentum is on your side, Jesus. You're 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 in the power position. All you have to do is grab it. And there's this huge, like, come on, Jesus, it's so obvious, grab it. And this is where we see where the disappointments start because they wanted a lion. They wanted be big, be in charge, take over, lead us. They wanted to lion a lion, they got a lamb. They got a lamb. Listen to this quote from Henry Nouwen. And if, you, if you're a reader and if you've never read Henry Nouwen, he's just, he's, he's the coolest. Uh, so listen to this quote. People seek glory by moving upward. God reveals his glory by moving downward. If we truly want to see the glory of God, we must move downward with Jesus. Now, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read that, or, excuse me, when I read that, I go, okay, that sounds nice, like Hallmark nice, but really, it, that, that goes against the grain of, of my wiring. That goes against, that is so against the grain of our culture. Wait, 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 you, you, downward? Like weaker? Like self-denial? I mean, that's like, it may as well, I might as well be speaking German right now. It's like, I, you know, no comprendo. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. I mean, when I look at Jesus, and even in this story and what we know is coming in the story, because we know the story, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but Jesus is a marketing nightmare. Because it's like, it's like you know, can you imagine, if he was a politician, he just had the debate of debates, and then he just goes out and blows it. Because it's like, it's like they're looking at him, uh, you know, at the peak, and, 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 and it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, you're not going to draw people to yourself by being weak, right? We want a lion. We don't want a lamb. It's, you don't, you don't, you know, people don't attach themselves to weakness. I mean, what do we get excited about in our culture? What do we celebrate? What are we enamored with? It's, it's the powerful it's the charismatic, it's the articulate, it's the, you know, the, the strong, the accomplished, I mean, the rich, the, I mean, you've, you know, it's, that's what, we're, that's what we're attracted to. We love 
lions. We, we're not sure what to do with, with, with lambs. But, you know, there's this, there's this picture in the Bible, uh, Revelations, the book of Revelations, that there's so much in Revelations that I find confusing. I'm sure I'm not alone with that. But there's a story in the Bible where, remember John, I think it's in, in chapter four, where John gets this incredible vision of heaven, right? There's like a door opens up and John looks into heaven and he sees this beautiful picture of, of, of what's going on, of worship. And you've got the throne, you know, in the center of this, this room. And then you've got these creatures, these four creatures, which is weird, around the throne. Then you've got elders around the throne. And then there's this multitude of people. And then a multitude of, of, uh, of angels. And at this part of the story, someone brings forth this scroll. And, you know, revelations, you know, end times and stuff. And the scroll, is, it's symbolic of these events that are, gonna, are, gonna, are, are to come. And they bring this scroll out and, and it's, it's like someone goes, who is worthy to open this scroll? And, and they look at the creatures and they go, no, <laughs> I'm not sure I get you guys. And they look at the elders, they look at the people, they look at all these angels and in all these multitudes, they look and they go, they could not find anyone that was worthy to, to you know, hit the go button to start all these end times events. And in, in, in Revelations uh, 4 or 5, John begins to weep as he's watching this. And then we pick it up in verse five of chapter five, and it says, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed, he is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals, right? And so John, he says, you know, don't weep. And if, if I was the event coordinator in heaven, okay, when I heard that, after that guy said that, I, I, would, have, I would have the lights go boom, the lights would dim, and this music would start, boom, 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 you know, just this really, like, building up, you know, 80s music. <laughs> but they would, they would, this music would start, and all of a sudden, this voice, they'd have a great sound system in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you today the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and then, boom, a, you know, a spotlight would come on, and out from the corner would come the, the biggest most awesome, most beautiful lion you've ever seen in your life. Just, you know, you know, Aslan, like on speed, like massive, and just, he'd roar, and everybody would cheer. Look at our champion. It was just this awesome lion. But how does God, what does God do? Listen to this, verse six. It says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the room, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And I don't know about you, but it would be like, wah, wah, wah. I mean, it would be like, that, that, that's our champion? I mean, it's not, just, not, it's not only just a lamb, a lamb can be cute at least. It's a slaughtered lamb, looking as if it had been slain. It's, a, it's just a mangled, bloody Lamb, and it's, and, and it's like the ways of God are just so foreign to us. M- most of the time, they're so, they're so foolish to us. But here's the thing. God, who, God knew what they needed in the story. God knows what we need. We, what was needed was not the strength or the roar of a lion to save these people. To save us. What was needed was the humility and the obedience of the Lamb. 
It was the Lamb. It's behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But their expectations were they wanted a lion. Right? They wanted war. They, they wanted war. They got peace. I mean, I, I don't blame the people. I mean, just, just the excitement and, and the electricity that would have been in the air, and they, did, they hadn't even invented it yet. Right? But the Okay, that was funny to me, but you'll get it later at lunch. But remember what happens. When Jesus comes riding in Jerusalem, he didn't come riding in on a war horse. One day he will ride in a town on a war horse. And we're going to see, we're going to see another side of Jesus. But, but in the story, he comes riding in a town on a donkey, and again, I've already, I've already touched on this, but you know, for him to come riding in on a donkey, it, it was a neon sign, it was the sign, and, and they were referring back what John was quoting, and he didn't get it all right, but what John was quoting was a prophecy from a, a prophet by the name of Zechariah. And let me, let me just read the, the actual, the full prophecy. Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so when they, they you know, boom, they remember the prophecy, oh, there it is, you know, in the flesh, and, and their expectations just go roaring off. But in the, in the, as they're caught up in their expectations, they forgot about verse 10. Let's read verse 10. That prophecy continues. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Their expectation was, all right, here he comes. Jesus, I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy could do anything. He can multiply food, he can raise the, I mean, I mean, it's just so obvious. Here comes the king. And he's going to blow the trumpet and we're going to rally to him and we are going to rise up and destroy our enemies and drive them out of our, of our homeland. But here's the, here's the thing. For an earthly king to liberate one group of people, that king also needs to dominate or destroy another group. Does that make sense? Somebody has to get the, the brunt end of the stick. But, but again, they wanted war. Jesus came to bring, to, to bring peace to all nations. And remember, Jesus, what did Jesus say over and over and over again? Okay, listen up. The most important thing you can do, the, the most important thing you can do every day and not just on Sundays, the most important thing you can do is learn to love people the way I love you. I mean, that's his message. We see it many times. It's reinforced. Paul, Peter, they're all the writers you know, we see in the New Testament, they all reinforce that. And so Jesus came to liberate not only the Jews, he also came to liberate their enemies, the Romans. Jesus came to liberate you and I. He also came to liberate the people we don't like. The people that we would rather he, oops. Right, he came to liberate everyone. And so the people with their high expectations, it's, they're looking at this, and, and again, we know the story. 
But they're looking at it like, oh, Jesus, this is so disappointing. It's just, I mean, it's just so obvious to us, looking at all that's going on, that, you know, of what you need to do, all, just, just, right, blow the trumpet, and it's going to happen, and everything's going to change. Jesus, it's so obvious what you need to do in this situation. And isn't, isn't it the same for us? We're, you know, whatever we're going through in life, we're looking at it. It could be in a relational matter. It could be, you know, finances, health, all these different things. And we're looking at it and we're going, okay, if, if we are honest, if we were honest with the Lord, I'd say, okay, God, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Because if you could just make this happen and you've got the power, you've got all the resources, just flex your muscle a little bit, Jesus. Could you just make this happen? Could you just make this relationship happen? Could you... Could you heal? Could you restore? Could you provide? I mean, all this stuff, we're, it's so clear uh, uh, to us of what he needs to do because we, we look at it, and isn't this one of the challenges? We look at it, and, and it's like so many times the all-powerful God just seems powerless. Wouldn't you agree? When you look at the different situations where so many times in life our expectations are here and suddenly we're left holding all this disappointment. He didn't do what we thought, what we were sure he should do. So let's finish off here. Number three. So then how do we handle our disappointments? The first one there is be honest. You know, and, and this thing of unmet expectations and the disappointment that follows is just it's so common. I mean, maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're going, I'm disappointed. I thought the message would be better, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's so, it's so, where's everyone going? No, it's so, it's so common. But here's this thing, and I don't know where this came from. I have some thoughts, but I know it didn't come from God because it is, it is so performance-based. But, and I remember this even as a kid, but there's this belief that sort of... Uh, you know, wound its way into the church that to express our disappointments, to express our questions to God, that that's a sign of weak faith. Does anyone relate to that? I, I know I sure do. But the truth is, it's really the opposite. That for you and I to go to God and to express our disappointments, oh, I don't understand, why, you know, to, to, to express our questions, I don't understand. And I'm not saying you always get answers. But for us to go to him with everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's the opposite. Really, it's a picture of great faith. Because when I go to God and I unload and I just have questions and why, it says that I believe you're there. I believe that you're a God who listens I believe that you're a God who cares about me, about us. I believe that you're a God who has the plan. I believe that you're the God who has the answer. And you know, one of the beauties, and when you look, you know, in the middle of your Bible, you have the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And one of the cool things in the book of Psalms, it's like God is literally, and not all the Psalms are this way, but many of the Psalms, it's like God is sending a message through these Psalms that, hey, people, uh, uh, you, you need to express your disappointments. I mean, these were songs that they would sing, but, and, and in these, it's like God is giving us permission to get it off our chests. Right? And they, they would sing these songs. Listen to this, Psalm 64 verse one says, 
Hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. I mean, we don't have any songs, but I mean, wouldn't, I mean, could you imagine singing that? But God is, he's going, he's going, I made you. I made you. And, and, and I know that you were not built to carry disappointment. Right? So we need to be honest. We need to get it out. And that leads to our next point. We need to get it out and we need to be willing to let go. Even though disappointment is so common every day of our lives, every hour of our lives at some level, even though it's so common, it's interesting that God didn't build us to carry it. And we have to, we have to unload it. I, you know, many of us today have, have been tight-fisted have held on to disappointments. And those disappointments have literally poisoned our bodies. We're physically sick because we have disappointments that we have carried for years. For many, that, that poison, it's poisoned our relationships. It's poisoned our relationship with God. Like, yes, I still go to church, I still believe in you, but I do not trust you. Right? It's poisoned our relationships with one another where we've learned, we have coping mechanisms, we've learned how to go, that's close enough. That's as close as you're gonna come. It's that poison, those, those, those disappointments we've held on to have robbed us of joy, of peace. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, we used to play a game, uh, <laughs> a real simple game called Hot Potato. Remember that game, right? And I mean, it's a, very simple game, we'd sit in a circle, we'd have a ball, and the whole idea was, okay, this ball, it's a hot potato. And the whole idea of the game is, right, you throw it around the circle, and you don't want to hold on to it too long, because if you do, it's a hot potato, you're going to burn your hand. And that's why when I started off, and I'll say it again, that we need to learn to be open-handed with our disappointments and tight-fisted with God. Because if, we're, if we get it backwards, like I was saying, that's when the infection, that's when the, the poison, the burn, that's when the poison gets into our system, when we don't let go of those disappointments. And one of the, uh, a common phrase that we say in this church is, we need to learn to make exchanges, 10 points for Gryffindor. We need to make exchanges with the Lord. And uh, one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love, I love that verse because I have a lot of anxiety. And it, and, but to, it's the same for cast all your disappointments on him. Cast all your fears on him. Cast all your anger and questions and all the stuff in life because you weren't built to carry it. So we need to be willing to let go. And then finally, we need to be willing to grab hold, to grab as we let go of those disappointments, to grab hold of God. And, and I mean, how would this impact your life how would this impact your blood pressure if you increasingly learned you know you're going through life expectation disappointment you let it go and you grab onto God 10 minutes later expectation disappointment you let it go and you grab onto God right this whole thing of expectation and disappointment is so so normal in life it's just it's happening constantly and if you're going to follow Jesus it's going to be just as common there's so many times in following Jesus I don't understand and like I said earlier it just seems like 
Almighty God, I don't see your power. Right? You, you know, you're my guide, you're my counselor. I don't, see, I don't see what you're doing. And it's so confusing and just trying to understand what he's doing. And there's, you know, there's a story in John 6, and I'm not going to read it because it, it is, it is a, a weird story, but Jesus is gathered, you know, yet again, his disciples and all these people are gathered around him. And if you know John chapter 6, he's basically laying out for them, here's what it looks like to believe in me. And it is a weird story. And he's laying this out in, a, in chap, or chapter 6, verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Then verse 66, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's like, okay, I don't understand this guy. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't understand him. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, and, uh, to the 12. You do not want to leave too, do you? And here's one of the things, I, I am convinced that the enemy, the devil, we have an enemy who's going after us constantly. And one of the ways he attacks us is on those days when you're right at the bottom of that disappointment, when you're like, oh, I thought. Again, if you were honest, but God, it was so obvious. All you had to do was this, and you didn't do it. In those times when you're, when you're holding that disappointment, that's when the enemy comes up and whispers. Because he's a pro. He's a, he's a pro at this. Hey, uh, um, why, don't you just, why don't you just, you know, leave. Just walk away from him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can still go to church. But, but, you know, don't trust him. Right? What does he do? He tries to get us to question the goodness, the faithfulness, the, the, uh, the wisdom of God. Constantly, but look how Peter responds in verse 68. He says, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I've looked at, and in years past, I've tried lots of options. And there's nothing and no one that even comes close to Jesus. There's just no one like him. You know, I've heard people say that all oh, your faith in Jesus, your belief in him, it's just your crutch. And it's like, oh, you think that, you know, every, just whenever I'm in need, I lean on Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus isn't my crutch. Jesus is my life support system. If I, didn't, if I wasn't hanging on to Jesus and, and leaning into him, I'd beep. I mean, right, he's the vine. I'm a branch. I have no life unless I'm connected to him. I mean, you want to talk crutch? Donuts are my crutch. <laughs> Jesus Jesus is my life support system. So again, we need to learn to let go. Let go and quickly, hot potato, let go of the disappointment and grab on to the Lord. So let, let's stand up. Pam, if you want to come up. We're going to end off here. Oh, okay. Here's how we want to end off. Pam's going to lead us in a song and I want to encourage you to, you know, to sing. And, but... We always leave some time at the end for us to respond to God, like what we did earlier. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world that we believe God's here with us. This isn't just some religious exercise that we're going through each weekend. It's we've gathered together, and we've gathered to come into his presence. And as I've been speaking, I'm very confident that God's been coming close and just saying, yep, 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 and just coming close and you know, being personal with people. And we want to give you a chance to respond to him. It's like the doctor is here and there's no, wait, there's no waiting room. You can just come to him right now. And one of the things that 
I strongly felt this for this morning was that there are some of us here today that we are tight-fisted. We're grabbing onto something and it's preventing us from grabbing onto Jesus. What you've got hold of, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe, well, it's an expectation. You know, if you will just do this, God, then I'll, I'll trust you. Then I'll believe in you. Then I'll follow you. But you need to do this. And he's saying, no, you need to let go of that. You need to come, you need to come grab onto me. And so I would encourage you, if that's you, God wants to, uh, wants to come close to you. I even had a sense of, for someone, maybe it's more than one person today, that you are literally one more disappointment away from just saying, forget it. I mean, you'll still come to the church, but in your heart you'll go, I don't get this guy and I don't trust him. Right? And if that's you, he's saying, I love you and you need to come today. Because he, he, he wants to do some healing in your heart. And then physically, and I shared this last night, and, I, and you know, as, as I was uh, praying this week, I had this pain, this sharp pain going through like the center of my back. Is there anyone here today that has pain in the, uh, in the sort of the midsection of their back? There's, one, there's a few. Anyone here have a back today? No, but if you, I feel like God wants to touch you. You know, he's here with us. He, that's, oh, how he loves us. He comes close to us. So if that's you, whether it's for your back, I'd encourage you to come forward for prayer or any other words. As, as Pam leads us in a song, just come on up. And as people come forward, you know, you know the drill. Guys pray for guys, gals for gals. But just start coming now, and then I'll come back and we'll end off the service. So if you raise your hand for your back, come on up. We want to pray for you. And again, as people come on up, just let's come on up and pray for them. They'll come.
Lord, we thank you for your, your presence here today and just all that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, that you love us, that you totally know us. And I pray uh, just for those today that who just maybe become more aware of stuff they're carrying, that's uh, just some hard stuff. I pray, Lord, that during this week, you would just continue to come close. And I pray that your kindness, your love, would, would draw them to a place of opening up to you in that area. Let you come in and just say, son, daughter, you were not built to carry that. I need you to hand that over to me. Let, me. let me give you my peace. Let me give you my love. Let me, give you, let me heal that hurt. Lord, I, I thank you for the privilege of being your kids, of being your sons and daughters. What a gift to be able to call you Father. And I just pray as we, as we go today that you would uh, watch over us this week. Just bless each one, each family represented here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, thanks so much. If you're getting prayer, don't feel like you have to rush or end off. For the rest of you, thanks for coming. If you're, uh, there's lots of sign-ups in the lobby. If you're visiting, if you just, for it takes a minute, just drop by the visitor's welcome. We've got, uh, uh, we'd love to meet you and we've got a gift for you. Bless you, have a great week.